0: Hello and welcome to the PR Week. PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, gonna guide you gently through another show, special show today. Loads to talk about with my co host, executive editor of PR Week, Frank Washcook. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well.
1: Thanks for having me on, Steve.
0: Did you enjoy the Super Bowl?
1: Good game. Yeah. I think everybody was uh, it lived up to expectations, right? Even was as- it holding? Yes, but, uh, yes, but but I don't know holding, that it could
0: have been a foul and, uh, yeah, yeah, but it, w- it wasn't a very significant hold. No, you've seen them given and not given, haven't you? So you yeah. Have. And we've got a special guest, Sabrina Sanchez, long of this parish. She, uh, was a former PR week reporter. Now she's a reporter at campaign, our sister tile. Sabrina's going to chat about the Super Bowl ads. How you doing, Sabrina? Welcome back.
2: I'm good, Steve. Back like I never left.
0: I know. What goes around comes around, eh? (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's
0: great to have you on the show. And our special guest today is Tom Ryan, who's the co-founder and CEO of ICR. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. I love your energy. Well, you know, coffee is a great thing, isn't it? And I had a a non-alcoholic cocktail this lunchtime, and it almost felt... And it was psychologically like having a drink without having a drink. So we've yeah. been uh, talking about this uh, non-alcoholic. Um, we might ask Sabrina about that because it's her generation that's leading it. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk to Tom. Um, ICR been having a great time and uh, dig into that. We'll chat about the Super Bowl. Some big stories this week. Edelman released its 2022 revenues above a billion, as uh, predicted. Medtronic's Torrid Neptune has a bigger role. Find out about that. It's very sad news about Howard Bragman dying, a uh, real pioneer in the, in the industry and for LGBTQ rights. So we'll chat about Howard. Um, and a CEO leaving a tech firm on the West Coast. And another week brings another Finn Partners acquisition. So we'll chat about that. But Tom, let's start with you. First of all, Tell us about, we should have had you on the show earlier, really, because in last year's we're, we're putting together our agency business report for 23, but in the 2022 report, your results were exceptional, with, which were obviously reflecting 2021 revenues. You were up 83% from yeah. 106 million to 195 million. That's incredible. So first of all, tell us what you do at ICR and what's the the... the the secret to it, but also how you how you yeah. achieve such incredible growth. Yeah, so um, ICR
3: is kind of a unique animal in the PR landscape, I think. Uh, you know, my background and a lot of my colleagues' backgrounds were Wall Street guys. And, um, you know, I used to, uh, you know, I was a research analyst writing the buy-hold-sell reports uh, in the casino business of all industries, and companies would come down to lower Manhattan and lay out their PowerPoint and tell me all about the... Company and want me to write a research report or get on board with an investment banking transaction, and uh, you know, basically they had somebody sitting next to the CEO advising them on how to talk to me, and it was a bit of a mismatch because they didn't really understand the market, the art of the stock market, what creates value for companies, how they you know how they should really communicate to portfolio managers and uh, and analysts and Wall Street in general. So the first iteration of ICR what you know much like reporters will leave uh the wall street journal and maybe go work at an agency this is a group of former wall street analysts and portfolio managers leaving to help teach management teams how to communicate to wall street that was the beginning over you know the last 25 years and i can't believe i've been doing this for 25 years we've added traditional corporate communications business financial media um you know, uh, ESG consulting, uh, special situations, you know, M and a comms, things like that, litigation. Um, and, uh, we work on a lot of transactions. So in 2021, first of all, we were up 20% in 2020.
0: Okay. Uh, so that was a good, half. that was a good year as well. Yeah. So
3: we kind of doubled the size of the company in 24 months, uh, and it, I'm still exhausted. Uh, yeah, no, I tell you well, yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but in 21, we benefited from a lot of the transactions that happen, all the IPOs, all the SPACs. You know, you hear all about the SPACs in the media and how bad they are and things like that. I have a different opinion on it. But, uh we would typically um, get paid on a transaction and that would flip to a retainer. And so it was just a, uh, a powerful upward uh, spiral of working on all these transactions and then them becoming retainers and obviously bringing a lot of services to all our client base, which is now about a thousand clients.
0: So was that pent up demand from 2020 at the height of COVID or is that just the nature of the market, the IPO market, that it's up and down and, it, you know, it's, it's variable?
3: Yeah. You know, I think uh, my personal opinion is like in the beginning of 2020, you know, we had all our clients in the beginning. You guys probably remember, you know, you didn't know if COVID was going to kill you or or what it was going to do. So all our clients came to us and they're like, we need to put the relationship on hold or we need to terminate. And we said, totally get it. We're going to work for you anyway. And and then come like May and June, uh, the government just kind of flooded the system with money. And, you know, everything just kind of took off starting in the back half of 2020 and 2021. And I think a lot of private equity backed companies across all industries were like, wow, you know, we can get these great valuations, let's go public. And so, you know, it was really a time period that I I can't think of any other year that was as manic, that's probably the right word, um, to describe that kind of activity. I mean, we hired like 188 people in one
0: year. It was just off the charts. How do you how do you manage that? Um, it's interesting. You're 25 this year because so is PR Week US. So happy birthday to yeah, ooh, both of us. Um, cool how do you manage that? Because that doubling an agency is totally transformational, isn't it? It's it's great news, but it's fraught with growing pains, I would imagine. And, and added into that, I suppose you had this whole hybrid working future of work. You, you, you probably not even met some people that, that work for you. So how did you navigate that?
3: Yeah. Um, well, you know, we have, we, we invested in kind of our, uh, human resources group. So we have a great leader there. Uh, we have two inc- internal recruiters and we had, I think, uh, four five or six external recruiters during the entire year. And so, you know, we get people from all over the place and, um, onboarding them remotely as you, you know, as you're saying, Steve was, uh, a real challenge, and I think the biggest challenge uh, going forward, and I think it's a challenge for all agencies. Depending on what their policy is with work, is just making people feel like they're part of something. I mean, when it's one thing if you're five million in revenue to get to ten million, it's another thing when you're you know ninety million adding a hundred million in mm-hmm. revenue in just a couple of years. So that was uh, at our size, it was an incredible challenge, but the team did a great job and. Uh, we kind of didn't. I mean, our numbers would suggest we didn't miss a beat in, in 2020 and 21, but uh, we're certainly not perfect, and uh, you know, stub our toe now and then. And, and uh, but but the key is to make people feel feel part of the team. And that's a, that's a bigger challenge. That's a big challenge when you're hiring a lot of people and a lot of them are remote all over the country.
0: I noticed on rereading, uh, the profile in last year's uh, agency report that he was he said an objective in 22 was to hire more senior folks. Um, how did that play out and did you achieve what you wanted to there? And, and tell us a bit about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we hired a lot of uh, interesting senior people across different industries. You know, we're, we're organized a little bit differently, is my guess. I have no idea. I've never worked at another PR firm. so, But we're organized kind of by industry. And so we're always looking to add people who have tremendous depth in any given industry um, because we have this foundation of uh, investor communications You know, if we go to our healthcare group, you know, we have, at least in the IR space, we would have someone who is, uh, you know, one leader that's biotech, you know, one is medical devices, one is pharma, and they know every private company, every public company, and they have relationships. And, you know, we try and win that investor communications business. And then on top of that, layer in traditional PR uh, and some of our other services. So, It's a unique model. We kind of call ourselves a category of one because we have this kind of base sticky business where every 90 days we're helping companies with their earnings. And then on top of that, we're doing all other things for them. But on each team, there's someone who knows the industry cold, the KPIs the companies are measured by uh, and generally can kind of walk into a boardroom or the CEO's office day one and completely understand the business.
0: Yeah. So you talk about being sort of unique, but who do you bump up against competitively or do, is it different firms in different parts of what you do? Are you up against the Brunswick's, the Joel Frank's, the sort of Abernathy's or Kext's or tell us a bit about your competitive set? Yeah,
3: it's always like a, a favorite question of mine because I, I I always I can't really give like a great answer to it. But you're right, Steve. I, it depends on what we're doing. I would say generally speaking, ICR is in the business of helping companies play offense. And so, you know, we used to run into like, uh, FTI consulting around the IPO, uh, work. I would say we do probably 30% of all IPOs that happen in North America. So we may run into, uh, we used to run into FTI. I think they've migrated more towards public affairs, um, in there, like in healthcare or tech, there may be some boutique agencies like Blue Shirt Group that we might run into in, in technology. But um, that's a that's a stronghold for us within our client base. If there's a you know a crisis situation, uh, we may uh, we may handle that ourselves. But in other cases uh, where maybe it's a non-client, you know that would be in competition with like a Joel or maybe Brunswick or Sard or, or mm-hmm. whatever so it, it really all depends and then when it comes to the traditional PR stuff you know every agency out there but Got it. we bring something a little bit different
0: so that's about this conference you run cuz it sounds incredible you get about 2700 people there this year i think which was i get i'm guessing yeah. was was it the first time back in person but it's it's it seems to bring a lot of people together in the space and i imagine it's brilliant for new business and and for client yeah. relationships yeah. So we started,
3: uh, we, we did start the conference 25 years ago and, uh, you know, I don't know, 25 years ago, we might have had 15 clients that like, you know, who knows the quality of the companies we were working with there. We were probably desperate to get anybody on board and we'd do anything for them. But, uh, we, we kind of came out, I came out of a Wall Street background and there's all these investor conferences all the time. And we thought, why don't we do our own conference and we can showcase our own clients and invite other companies. and We'll get all our, you know, portfolio manager friends and analysts and get them all in a room and they can, you know, we'll have fun and we'll, you know, they can see these new companies. In the first year, I think there was probably 25 or 35 people there. And then um, over time, you know, we have our own clients plus you know, non-clients and other companies want to attend. And, um, essentially the conference has for the last few years has been down, um, in Orlando, there's a Ritz Carlton and a JW Marriott with a big conference space in between. And we had, I think, uh, 140 public companies, maybe 60 private companies. And we have members of the media. We have a thousand institutional investors there, tons of private equity firms, Um, and the companies get up and they kind of tell their story and it's great for them because, uh, 40 investment banks sponsor the entire event and they can see everybody they need to see in a three day period and kind of clear out their calendar for the first few months of the year. And then for us, it's, uh, you know, our whole team is down there and we get to sit down with companies and this year was great because it was in person and you forget how valuable it is to just walking down the hall and.
2: An Absolutely. opportunity
3: might come to you when you're when you're talking to someone, but uh, but yeah, it's kind of a must attend event, uh, certainly in for consumer companies in January, and um, yeah, it's almost three thousand people there, so it's gotten to
0: be a, kind of a really big event, way bigger than I ever would have thought for sure. And it's sometimes you've had a media partner, and it's been broadcast, or elements of it have. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, we've uh Jim Kramer did Mad Money from down there and um you know, we've had we've had a lot of media outlets uh down there and and they're, you know, cranking out interviews with with clients and non-clients alike and so it's again it's it's geared towards the companies and helping them put their best foot forward and tell their story in whatever way, you know, they can. I had a podcast studio set set up down there. The the name of our podcast is called Welcome to the Arena. And, uh, you know, I would also have clients and non-clients on and talk to them and,
0: um, you know, it works out great for, for our clients to give them visibility. Yeah. Sounds great. And just to finish, we'll talk about 2022 in, uh, when we get into the news stories, but your private equity backed, you've got a Canadian company that I'm going to call CDPQ because that's easier <laughs> to man. pronounce and, uh, InvestCore, invest core. What's the, uh, tell us about that ownership structure. Is there any sort of uh, policy moving forwards uh, in terms of being backed in that way?
3: Um, yeah, you know, after 20 years of, of building the company, uh, we decided that, uh, we would get some liquidity and and bring on a partner and help us grow. And we did our original, um, transaction with InvestCorp. They've been great. You know, they're a big global company. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, uh, expertise in M&A. They bring a big balance sheet to the table, And so, you know, our lives didn't change all that much, you know, they, uh, other than, you know, for the first 20 years, we never had a board meeting. You know, myself (laughs) and my business partner, Don Duffy, would sit around and make the decisions, and it was really easy. And then you go from that to having, you know, uh, monthly calls and board meetings and structure. And, you know, it kind of re-energized the organization, to be honest with you, Steve. It's kind of like, okay, you know, change is good after after 20 years and, you know, we're going to become a a more professional business and we're trying, you know, we have global ambitions and, um, and so, uh, having those partners and then CDPQ, I agree with you. That's how I refer to them as well, because (laughs) I would butcher the name, but you know, they have, they have like, uh, they're gigantic, uh, and they have, you know, investments in 4,000 companies, which those companies can potentially be clients of ours, but just their global uh, footprint is helpful so it's been listen I feel like I've learned so much in the last 25 years it's just crazy but uh, uh, a new chapter and energized everybody so everything's going great so far
0: yeah that's a unique part of it as well because they're you're in their world aren't you so that's it's a it's a win-win I suppose yeah. I'm gonna try I'm gonna try it case de Depot et placement du, du Québec Terrible. Yeah. Good job. No, I thought
3: that was pretty good actually. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even have ventured to try. Um, to be honest. But I would tell you, Steve, the other cool thing about it is like when I go into a private equity backed company to pitch them on, you know, raising their profile and and you know getting their story out there, I can talk to the CEO and say, look, I get it. Like I'm also private equity yeah. backed. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like I understand the pressure, you know, there's some pressure there to, to perform and oh, sure. generate return. So it's kind of cool. All
0: right, Tom, we will talk to you in the next segment of the podcast, but well, let's get into the big stories of the week. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Great game, but look, we're all about the ads, aren't we, in the halftime show. We've got Sabrina Sanchez here, our expert from campaign and uh, what did you think, Sabrina? It Was uh, was it a classic year for the ads, or was it a bit meh? And what really stood out for you?
2: It was a bit meh. <laughs> um, well, let me just say, my favorite part was obviously the halftime show. Who would R- put, R- Rihanna. Yeah, who would put a football game in the middle of a Rihanna concert?
0: That's, that was a theme, wasn't it? Someone was wearing a T-shirt for that one.
2: Exactly. Yeah, um, but, you know, the ads, they were a bit meh. They weren't really that great, I think, in my opinion, Um, And I think the industry agrees, you know, campaign recently did a survey where we collected the opinions of some of the, you know, chief creative officers across the industry. And I think the consensus was that they kind of fell a little flat. Um, It wasn't as um, impactful, I would say. I think a lot of the uh, brands tried to go for something funny, something lighthearted, but the jokes didn't really land. The stunts didn't really land. A lot of them needed too much context to be able to understand them. And so, you know, very few actually really stuck out. I think there were obviously some fan favorites, the Farmer's Dog, which is my favorite. <laughs> um,
0: Pets are always a, always going to be a winner, aren't they?
2: Yeah, lots of dogs, I will say. Lots of movie trailers, I noticed, as well, which I think people don't talk about enough. Um, but it was kind no, of there's cool. There's
0: always a lot of movie trailers, and nobody does, you're right. But, you know, that's a, that's a big part of TV advertising, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and it was cool to see some tie-ins, you know, um... Heineken did that um, ad with Ant-Man tie-in. And that was interesting, too, because it was, like, for their non-alcoholic brand, 0.0. And so that was interesting. You know
1: the rules. No shrinking in drinking, obviously. Do not consume a full-size beer at ant size.
2: Like, that's even possible.
1: Do not dive into the beer. And do not, do not give alcohol to the ants, even if they ask.
2: But then, you know, there were some others that... You know, we're a little bit funnier. Duncan with Ben Affleck and J-Lo. <laughs> what are you doing here? Ask me i Is this house. what you do when you say you want
0: to
2: work all
0: day? I, I got to go, guys.
2: Grab me a glaze. I,
0: I like that. That's my personal fave. And it did really well, didn't it? It got the most impressions. 507 million of any of the ads, I believe.
2: Yeah, I think what was interesting about that one was that they um, kind of played in a little bit to that moment at the Grammys where, you know, J-Lo was kind of giving Ben Affleck the side eye. And (laughs) I think they played that well. That was really good.
0: Was uh, Jay-Z... And Beyoncé. Was Beyoncé giving Jay-Z the side-eye when he was watching uh, Rihanna, or was that just my imagination? Am <laughs> I reading too much into this?
2: <laughs> I don't know, but if she wasn't, Blue Ivy was.
0: <laughs> Frank, um, we were talking a lot beforehand about these creative activations, weren't we? Like, uh, for example, M's. Plans. And the FanDuel Gronkowski kick—they sound—they were very creative ideas, but they, they kind of fell a bit flat, didn't they? They didn't really activate on the creativity.
1: Yeah, uh, I think especially with the FanDuel ad with Rob Gronkowski, um, it was hard to tell what was going on. And it was it, from the camera angle that they used, it was very difficult to tell whether or not he actually made the kick. Um, I, I think a lot of people thought he made it when he missed it. Um, so that could have been executed better, I think, and. Um, M&M's, it got, it got a little too silly, I think, didn't it? it uh, you know, it, it it promised a lot and it teased the ad a lot, but I'm not sure it lived up to expectations.
0: And I think some people thought Kronkowski was going to be in the stadium, didn't they, actually doing it live? Or maybe they would, that was well, just naive. But there was a doink... Uh, Field goal that hit the it was. hit the post during the game, yeah. yeah. So I think great ideas, but it's harder go- than it looks. You know, <laughs> I usually hit the ball over the bar when I'm playing soccer, but hey, that's uh, that's just my uh, inability to shoot straight. Um, a bit more on. Um, I mean, one thing it did show, Frank, was this is a, a mass event where everyone can watch yeah. at the same time. It was the third largest audience I think of all time. It was the second biggest Super Bowl audience, and. For an advertiser, that's why they're paying $6 million for this 30 seconds, isn't it?
1: And great ratings, and uh, the rare event nowadays that almost ensures a live audience for everybody watching. And I think that you know, when I was a kid, we went through this this long stretch of Super Bowls in which there wasn't one that was close for, for almost 10 years, it felt like. And now a lot of these games are going right down to the end, and um, I, I'm sure it used to be that a lot of advertisers would, would not want to be advertising in the fourth quarter at all. And yeah. I wonder if that's the opposite case now.
0: Yeah, you can't predict what the score's going to be, but the advertisers are happy when the game is close and goes all the way to the end. And near the end was, uh, Sabrina, the 2 activation that got a lot of uh, attention, didn't it? When everyone, a stunt that did work, when everyone was looking around for their remote.
2: <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Super Bowl 57. So far, Greg, the game going like you expected? Yeah,
2: and so far, these teams, they've really... that one was very effective i think especially in light of the earlier ad that they aired with that creepy rabbit i think they kind of saved it (laughs) with the with the remote control i like the rabbit for what it's worth (laughs) (laughs) yeah um that one was interesting you know i think yeah i mean at least in my house i got yelled at and they were like where's the remote what did you do i was like guys give it a couple seconds this is probably an ad um, but I think it was effective in making people at least stop and pay attention because at the very least they were looking at the screen for a couple seconds until they figured out what was happening.
0: I think I'd already had a few too many cocktails by that point in the game, <laughs> but just like, well, what's going on? Let's have a refill. Um, so yeah, but that, that certainly seemed to win the, the creativity index. And then there was the, there was the original influencer himself with uh, Jesus, the, he gets us campaign. Talk to us about this because you've been chatting to the folks behind that, haven't you?
2: Yes, this is a very interesting one. I actually chatted with Bill McKendry. He's the founder and chief creative officer of Haven, which is the creative agency behind the ad. And um, this was interesting. They aired two spots. One was about trying to basically tap into your childlike nature of loving each other without bias. And the second was basically loving the people that were, you know, were usually used to hating. Um, and that one was they had some polarizing images, you know, sort of spoke to the times that we're living in. And um, what was interesting about this was in my chat with Bill, he was saying that the goal of the campaign was simply to just uh, bring people back to the teachings of Jesus and remind them that despite, you know, whatever belief you may have or whatever you buy into, most people can at least respect the idea of him and can respect some of his teachings and understand that they are good and are meant for goodness. And so, um, you know, this is a hundred million dollar campaign. It's been running since 2022. It's going to continue until 2025. And their media buy is really extensive. They have social, out-of-home, TV. Obviously, the Super Bowl, they ran 90 seconds of ads, which is really expensive. And they've even done some partnerships with YouVersion and the Bible app, where they've done some seven-day plans. And basically, you know, their goal was to reach the people who may not necessarily be Christian and teach them that, you know, at the very least, we can all agree that Jesus' teachings are meant for good and, you know, forgiveness um and then also remind christians that they need to bring back some more of that into their lives because they've strayed too far.
0: I think that last segment is really important because we're living in this crazy polarized world, aren't we, where people are almost weaponizing religion and forgetting what the 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 intention of it is for us all to be nice to each other and, you know, maybe to listen to each other and be kinder to each other, but um Frank what did you think of that one because there's always a little bit of cynicism behind it well okay who's what is this organization how are they measuring the impact here what are they trying to do are they trying to convert us what what was your take on it
1: I'm going to choose my words carefully here um <laughs> I, uh, yeah I I <sighs> probably wasn't for me um I think you know having uh Gone to Catholic school uh, when I was a kid. I, I knew you I were mean, going there. That's to be fair, well. uh, no, but but you know, I think it was the, the second ad that they ran, you know, that's it, not really reflective of what you're taught, and that you know, Jesus wasn't afraid of confrontation in a lot of cases, so.
0: He wasn't. And he, he yeah, he was, uh, he was the original influencer in many ways. And he's still around 2000 plus years later in, as a force, isn't he? Yeah. I haven't been to confession for over 40 years, <laughs> Frank. So <laughs> I've got, if I ever did go again, which I really am not going to do, it would be a long session, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting anyway. Certainly interesting. And let's finish with the main event, Sabrina, Rihanna. I mean, she, of course, the big story was as soon as she walked on stage, everybody noticed something, didn't they?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the little person she brought with her, of course. That's right.
0: Her special guest. Yeah. Um. Everyone's like, it, it pretty much broke Twitter.
2: It really did. Um. I don't know about you, but my Twitter stopped working for a second. <laughs> and everyone was just tweeting, is she pregnant? Um. Yeah. No, that was amazing. I think, you know, kudos to her for giving such an amazing performance, you know, in light of that situation. I don't know if I would feel comfortable being so high up. Um. So, you know. Well, I think- one of the
0: dancers nearly fell off, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly, and then you know here people are wanting her to dance and move around. Um, I thought that
0: was a bit harsh. Yeah, she was getting criticised for not being in, you know, well, not doing a Beyonce, I guess, but uh, you yeah, know, she's f- three or four months pregnant. So, I mean, can anyone get through any performance
3: or do anything without being criticised? I mean, Well, that, we're getting right? back it's, to that.
0: Yeah, that's that's social media, isn't it? It's it's if yeah. you, if you watch it too much, it really does the lens of the world just you get pretty (laughs) depressed, um, you know, going back to the, the, he gets us campaign, but she managed to get in her Fenty makeup range during the performance. And she did some interesting activations on TikTok. So whilst she wasn't spending $6 million, uh, all of her music went back into the charts. Uh, she got her makeup into the performance and she did some nice social media stuff on the side. So what uh, she's smart, isn't she?
2: Yeah, that was a 10 out of 10 plug. I mean, I think everyone was probably Googling, what was that? What was that? You know, like it's a new product, um, which was even even better for her. You know, it's it's promo on the biggest stage on the planet. And then obviously the social media campaigns were really successful, I think. I mean, one of the beauty of Fenty Beauty um, is that, you know, she has such a wide range of different, um, you know, tones and things like that for her. Her uh foundations and, and the things that go in your skin. And um, she was able to show that through like these really nice graphics of of the footballs changing. Yeah, color. this is
0: the TikTok thing. It was yeah, very clever. TikTok, very clever. it was really
2: clever. Um, and I think just she herself is such an amazing brand. And the fact that she was able to bring her actual brand on stage was incredible. And I'm sure we're gonna see more stuff coming out of that moving forward. Especially, I'm curious to see what she's going to do now with um, Savage fencing her lingerie line, because the next day was uh, Valentine's Day or two days later.
0: Yeah, it was very close for once. Tom, I think you were watching it with the sound off. So did the advertising kind of pass you by? And were you were you sort of not really concentrating on the game so much?
3: No, I was, uh, yeah, I was in kind of a big, huge gathering with a with a uh, a big screen, so with five hundred people or so, so I couldn't really hear the ads. But um, the one that kind of jumped off the page, at least, or jumped off the screen uh, visually, was the Doritos one with Elton John, and I thought, wow, how yeah. much are they spending on this? You know, and like, what do they, what do they think they're getting in return? And then I think the other Super Bowl ads, um, whether it was this year or other years, the ones where that are they're like trying to be overly creative and you're not really sure what the product is or like what they're even doing. You know, I think, um, sometimes they can get a little over their skis on trying to be uh, overly creative, but, uh, yeah, I, I saw him with the sound off, but, uh, look, it was a great game. And, and I think half the, half the fun is going through, you know, ad by ad and kind of thinking, you know, seeing if it was good or bad or what people thought of, I mean, you know. we're 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 sitting here talking about it, so uh, we are. It's a it's a massive uh, annual event and fun, and uh, you know even the even the bad ones are kind of memorable because you're like talking about it,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, um, I've I got the subway home from Manhattan to Brooklyn, and the the subway was absolutely rammed with people had all been into Manhattan and it 's still a national it 's a big national gathering and national event so, so yeah, it was a lot of fun They're a good point there, Tom, because to be, what does it do right you know people are still saying to me, oh, yeah, I was really creative, that was really fun, but what what is it you know and it's it's yeah. uh, it 's a streaming service, and some of my, some I have views on how good it is right so uh, yeah it, it, you might get all the headlines for the creativity, but Where's the effectiveness in terms of sales and usage? That's, that's to come. I've personally, the, the award for let's blow all of our marketing budget on one Super Bowl ad this year went to Skull Shaper which I personally appreciated a lot with my uh, hairstyle. So, uh, um, yeah, I liked that one. But, uh, yeah, it was good fun, as always. And, and uh, yeah, we're all talking about it. So thank you, Sabrina. Good to have you on the show again. Let's not leave it so long. <laughs> thank you for coming and talking to us about it. Let's get into Edelman. They are obviously the biggest PR agency in the world, and they just released their 2022 revenues, Frank. And they've not only gone past the billion, but they've uh, they've exceeded it by a fair way.
1: They have, and I think they had a better year revenue percentage-wise than most people expected. Up globally, twelve point eight percent to one point one billion. Uh, in the U.S., they're over seven hundred million, up thirteen point eight percent in the U.S. Um, one surprise I'll pull out uh, from this uh, report, the tech practice at Edelman grew by 13.5%. Now, that's even bigger than health, which was 10%. And when you think of a lot of the pullback in technology over the past uh, three months to six months, I, I was surprised that they did that well in that category. So good for them there. The firm's top 100 clients have 17% growth over the past year. Uh, so you know interesting report I think it exceeded a lot of people's expectations in terms of the revenue growth percentage
0: and CEO Richard Edelman's verdict was yes a pretty damn good year you can hear him saying it he can't also
1: you? and and we should point out too he also commented on the um, the firm's work with uh the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia which has gotten a lot of attention not everybody agrees with it um and you know he has talked about um you know they were kind of trying to forge connections between the the two cultures
0: yeah i've been working for the government and um, business over there if there's a difference between those two things and uh, it's, I got a lot of a lot of revenues from it uh, yeah. from what i understand tom we spoke a lot earlier about 2021 can you give us an insight into 2022 and how how did you do that year you know and um, obviously we'll be writing about it in our report yeah. which is, we're working on now but can you give us any sort of indicators yeah.
3: Yeah. Um we're we're uh, frantically uh getting our submission together. But uh you know, twenty twenty two for us after again up twenty in twenty twenty and then up eighty-five percent. Um we yeah, we no didn't pressure. have to hear that at, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, our our you know, we're largely a retainer business. Um our retainers were up twenty percent in twenty twenty two. Um what was a little bit tougher for us was to, uh, generate transaction revenue around like IPOs when it was the worst IPO market in 2022, uh, in the last 30 years. So we had a little bit of a mixed bag, you know, decent year, uh, coming off of, of 20 and 21, but certainly not like, you know, certainly not like 21. I'm not sure we'd ever be able to do that again, but, uh, but look, all good. We're, we're still doing our thing. And, um, so far, 2023 has started out uh, very good for us. So. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. because year, You know, less chaos.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we're all still a bit confused about the economy in 23, aren't we? We're seeing really strong indicators in some areas and then weakness in other areas. Doesn't seem to be, we don't seem to be hearing the R word, recession, as much as we were towards the end of last year. What do you, what do you think uh, looking forward over the next six months?
3: Yeah. Um, here's the kind of interesting thing. I, I think the economy is doing pretty well. I mean, could there be a a shallow recession, you know, of course, but all this earnings season companies are, um, seem to be doing really well. And, you know, the, the, the capital markets, at least kind of where we live in the IPO market and all of that, there's a lot of companies that have a lot of debt and they were counting on going public and raising equity and paying down debt. And they just have to go public. And so what happened in 2022 is that all of the boards of directors and CEOs looked at 21 and they said, hey, we want to go public and we want those big, high, crazy values on our business to sell. And um, it takes a while for people to get their head around that the world has changed and you're not going to get the same valuation as you got in 2021. So there's just, we have a massive pipeline of companies that are ready to go. And as soon as the window opens and it's, you know... It, it, it always has opened in the last uh you know twenty five years you know we're going to be busier than ever just helping those companies with that transaction and then afterwards uh, you know with life as a public company with kind of the investor piece, the media you know dealing with all stakeholders, all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. so um, i i think I think that you know the first three months of this year might be a little bit tough for that, but then the next nine months, I think we're going to see a lot of movement and uh, a more normalcy than twenty two
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Frank, Torod Neptune at Medtronic has expanded his role and uh, it's a tribute to the comms function and and Taurad himself, isn't it?
1: It is. And uh, it does. It speaks very highly of him. Uh, So what is happening is that Carol Surface, the SVP and chief human resources officer at Medtronic, um, she's leaving the company. She's joining Apple uh, as their first chief people officer. So that is going to open up two functions, what they call the foundation and the labs functions. Uh, to be overseen by Tarad Neptune. Um, So let me explain those. Um, Medtronic Foundation is a civic engagement and philanthropic arm. uh, And Medtronic Labs is very interesting in that it is a health systems platform that develops community-based tech-focused services for underserved patients and their families. So both very important things and uh, both very community-facing things. Uh, So yeah, congrats Tarad on that.
0: Yeah, then... Tom, who's your client normally within businesses? Is it the head of IR or is it the CEO? How it's, you know who is it the chief communications yeah. officer or a bit of all of those?
3: It's a bit of all of it. You know, um, I would say that our client base, if you put a bell curve on it, is, um, you know, 95% of our clients are kind of between maybe a billion and 20 billion in market value. Um, you know, if... We don't get the first call on Microsoft probably, because all of our services are kind of built towards smaller, fast-growing companies, a lot of volatility. So sometimes there'll be a chief communications officer in there. If it's a larger company, if it's a smaller company that's kind of just going public, they may may not have like a full staff. So we're kind of there to support uh, them. So it could be you know if it's just kind of the investor relations function, we could be working right for the CFO or the or the CCO or, you know, some of the stuff that veers into, into more, uh, consumerish PR head of marketing. So like everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Frank, sad news, uh, on over the weekend, uh, Howard Bragman has passed away. He was, uh, well known to us. He was on our inaugural PR pride in PR list. Great pioneer in PR, and um LGBTQ uh, advocates um, took us through Howard's career.
1: Yeah, really sad to hear about. Uh, he was 66 years old. Uh, he passed away on Saturday night after a short battle with leukemia. um he he's had a a long long career and, and you could just see by the outpouring on LinkedIn uh, how many people he impacted over the years. Uh, so uh he uh, was the chairman and founder of Crisis Communications and marketing agency, La Brea Media. Uh, he was also a founder of Bragman, Nyman, Caffarelli, uh, all later known as BNC, uh, which was bought by Interpublic Group in 2001. Uh, he launched 15 minutes public relations, uh, where he wrote the book, where's my 15 minutes. And, um, you know, he was also an, an advocate, um, for the LGBTQ community. I think he was he was probably as well known for that as as he was for his day-to-day work. He was a consultant for ABC News. Uh clearly impacted a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and uh BNC now PMK BNC, so big entertainment and uh a PR firm in LA and uh yeah, Howard's was such a character? When you spoke to Howard, you could use about two percent of your conversation <laughs> with him, but he had a really entertaining conversation, and some of the stuff was, was scurrilous. But he was always entertaining, and it was like, Howard, do you really want to say that in public? And uh, but he was great, real character, and uh, our thoughts are with his family and friends. Um, really a terrific guy, and. Uh, a CEO has left at one of the Next 15 agencies. Frank, fill us in on that.
1: That's right. And they are looking to fill that role still. So that's Outcast CEO Elizabeth McNichols. Uh, she had been in the top role at Outcast, which is, of course, a very tech specialist, uh, Silicon Valley focused shop uh, and part of Next 15. Uh, she left the role at the end of January. They're still looking for her replacement, but Becky Porter, the COO, is managing. Uh, comes between Next 15 and Outcast uh, in the meantime.
0: She's been there 11 years, I think, and yeah. been in that top role around two to three years. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where Elizabeth lands next. And then finally, another week, another acquisition for Finn Partners.
1: Yes, they've been very busy. Um, buying this time international health focused communications and policy firm Hyderis. Um, they are based in Ireland and Wales, and they are going to add uh, scale globally to Finn's global health practice. Uh, it's going to bring that global health practice up to more than 275 people around the world. Uh, it's going to be rebranded as Hyderas a Finn Partners company, uh, and the principals are going to stay on as part of the leadership group within the health group, uh, the health unit.
0: Tom, how do you look at uh, acquisition as a form of growth? Has most of your growth been organic thus far? And are you, are you looking to make some uh, purchases at any point?
3: Yeah, you know, um, right out of the gate, uh, after we closed our uh, transaction with uh, InvestCorp in 2018, within nine months, uh, we acquired a, a small healthcare uh, agency in Baltimore called Westwick, and... Um, and that's the only one we've done so far. I mean, you're right. Like, I feel Finn buys like, you know, they're like a machine, you know, so more, more power to them. Um, I don't know how you keep all of that organized, but they seem to be doing it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, for us, we've, uh, we've turned over a lot of stones, uh, very particular on on what fits with our model. Uh, but we have, we're having conversations all the time with companies. And I think that, um, what's happening right now is the credit markets are seizing up a little bit. So it's a little harder to, um, to finance acquisitions and it'll be interesting to see if that slows, uh, some of the more acquisitive agencies down a little bit. Um, because, uh, as you know, bankers will, uh, lend you money when you don't need it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> yes, when you so, do need it, they, so true. they won't. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. It's a highly fragmented industry as you all know. So uh we're going to stay at it, but that's that's another piece of our uh, uh of our growth strategy for sure.
0: And of course, another area where you're the experts on M&A as well. So you've got two two well, two hopefully. sort of prongs in the game there all right so don't forget the big uh, oscars of pr the pr week u.s awards they're not far away now it's uh, march 16th in new york city at cipriani wall street the big night of the year don't miss it crisis comms conference in dc on the 12th of april looking forward to that a launch event a healthcare conference and awards is in new york city at uh, city winery on the 24th of may and the global awards are in london on the 9th of may looking forward to those and as tom mentioned the agency business report submissions the forms are out there so make sure you're working on that and get those back to us but uh, tom thanks so much for joining us really enjoyed chatting and continued good fortune real real pleasure steve and frank nice to uh, nice to be on thanks for having me thanks tom thank you sabrina and thank you frank as always and we'll see you next time on the pr week